Hi, I'm Anne. And she's Rach. And this is So You Think You Want to Be a Lawyer, a podcast where we'll be sharing our own legal journeys, top tips on how to qualify as a solicitor, and what you do to stay sane and healthy when you get there. Well, in this special episode, we have Rohan with us. We're going to ask him all about his journey as a lawyer and where he's got to, and then ask him the all important questions about tips and skills you need to be an amazing lawyer. So um, I think to kick us off, Ro, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. And if you could perhaps start off by telling us a bit about who you are and what your current job is and see how we go. Sure. I'll start from the top. So I'm currently general counsel of a fintech business called Habito. We are a digital mortgage broker, mortgage lender, mortgage company more more generally, and a platform for home buying as well. So branching into doing more and more things to make home buying easier and slicker um, and bring it into sort of the digital age. I have been in this role for just over three years, and this is my third in-house role. Um, I started in private practice, as you guys know, at Linklaters. Loved loved my time at Linklaters, to be honest. I mean, couldn't fault it at all. and, And and, and me wanting to go in-house was purely the fulfillment of a drive I had that predated almost starting at Linklaters. I knew very early on that um, an in-house life was probably for me. But at the same time, you know, it, it was just fantastic training, a wonderful international platform, great opportunity for, for secondments and doing very cool work. So um, I wouldn't swap that for anything. You had so much foresight, Ro. This like, is it. I knew, yeah, I would love to say the whole thing was back. I did. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because some people say that, you know, they, they sort of muddle along and, and, and hope for the best. And then one day they know that they they would love to stay and go for partnership and do the whole private practice thing and or, or one day yeah. something dawns on them whereas for me it was more of a slow burn to be honest I thought I had a good idea that uh, an in-house life was for me the frustrations I guess of being in private practice of not seeing the juicy bits that happened either side of the instruction so you know what led to wanting to do this piece of M&A why decide to reorganize your business in a certain way so for me it was kind of a slow burn it was seeing deal after deal realizing where my interests lay um, yeah. I guess knowing that, that doing a few years uh, in private practice at a really good um, on really high quality work, working with really great people was always going to be good. So I think there, there's that element that, that you know it's it's a no-brainer and a, and, a, and a wonderful opportunity and platform to have. So I, I love that. And then I guess at that point, it's like, when do you when do you make the jump? You know, what at what point um, have you achieved critical mass for your career, yeah. for, your, <laughs> you know, for your purposes? When were you Sorry? willing to say goodbye to Anne? You know, I know that was the toughest part. We, we shared an like, office. Yeah, exactly. We haven't covered the fact that you guys were actually little buddies together we really were. yeah we really we were. Were. We how long was it and um, a year and a half or something yeah a year and a half exactly yeah. and, that, and that's it that, that genuinely is it sort of when 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 weighing up all the all the factors as to kind of when to make that jump into an in-house environment th- those really are real factors like the people you work with the fun you're having and 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 even though you think okay long term well I think I'll sort of be able to sort of flex my muscles more in an in-house environment. And I think that's where I could thrive. At the same time, it's really difficult to know, you, you know, two, three, four, five, how many years qualified is the right amount of time. And I think people really worry about that. So what, yeah. just, so we know what, how, what, where were you? How many qualified were you? And then maybe Anne, tell us where you were. I was just under three years qualified. And I was four and a half when I went in-house. And I think that's around the right stage, I think. Well, also, I think... Not 12, like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> what were you doing, Rachel? Like, you're too slow moving. 
No, <laughs> but that's it. Like, I think there's a, I think that's the one thing, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that's the one thing that has dawned on me over time that there is genuinely no right and wrong to it. I guess so much of it's opportunity based as well. It's not a case of, you know, right, th- I've hit the three year mark. What's the first in house opportunity that I come across? I'm actually, off. Time to go. <laughs> I'm off, right, exactly. And then what's the first bus that comes along? There can be a long gap between saying, right, I think I'm ready. I think I've, I've clocked up enough core private practice foundation. But now it's what's the perfect opportunity? What kind? It's not just in-house. It's, you know, what sector? What kind of team do I want to go into? An investment banking team of 100? Do I want to go into a startup team of one or two or, or anything in between? Do I want to go into kind of a privately owned high growth business or a listed business? Or is it what sector? Uh, international or UK only? Try to understand your real drive drivers and motivations and, and the levers you want to pull as early as possible so that you have your eye open for that perfect thing when it comes along. That's the one thing I would say is really helpful. I think so. And I think you did that really naturally as well, because like, why did you talk us through, you know, we're sharing an office and then suddenly you were in New York? and how that happened and why and how you got there. Yeah, it was an aligning of stars, really. And, and I feel lucky in many ways. So I kind of had spoken to the head of our team a couple of times. I can't remember what triggered the conversation, but I said, look, if I'm being honest with you, I really, I see the, the clients who are instructing us and the general counsels and, and the in-house teams that are instructing us. And I really like the look of that life. I think that would suit me. And I think I would thrive in that environment. And, and he was so understanding. And, and so he said, look, well, sure. And there are some comments that pass through our team, but they're typically at private equity houses. Um, and that's not the type of in-house, I didn't want a transactional sort of um, investment based in-house life, but rather just a kind of a, an operating business. And so he said, look, well, if you can try and be entrepreneurial about it and, and find a succumbent arrangement that could work for the firm and that would have, you know, a business case that could be built around it, that's also fine. So that was great. So that then sort of set me off on, on a right. Okay, well, well, who do I know? What kind of network can I ask for a coffee and, 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 and talk to about? And then, you know, I'll say maybe four, five, six months later, something like that. This opportunity came around family, friend of a friend of a friend, you know, the usual kind of trying to plug, you know, hustle and plug the network. Um, I hustle, uh, keep pushing, keep pushing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I found an opportunity at a tech business, which is what I was really, really keen to explore. Um, and it was a huge listed tech services business called Tata Consultancy Services. And I had a couple of conversations. The Global General Council sat in New York in their main corporate head office in New York and had a team of about 20 or so in the US. And so the twist was... TCS are currently not a client of the firm, but look, enormous $150 billion market cap business would be a juicy client for the firm. So, so there's the kind of overall business case that we can try and join the dots. But this actual opportunity would be to sit with the global general counsel in New York. Is that okay? Um, and PS, TCS <laughs> don't, really, and TCS don't really have a, a budget for this. It's just a comment that's come as a kind of uh, you know series of favors rather than them needing it. So they don't really have a budget to pay links anything for it. So it, could my time be a sort of investment in business development? Looking back, it was a pretty big ask saying, um, can you give me for free for six months to a client first question and secondly can that client be in new york and can you help me with all of the usual find a flat blah 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 yeah, when you go abroad into common um so that worked out very well i felt very fortunate that business case was approved for that and yeah and so then before i knew it i was in i was in onto comments in new york which was fantastic so it was a double whammy really it was uh it was going in-house onto common for the first time but also being in a completely different work work environment working culture and so it was a really fantastic learning curve in many ways actually there are many facets to why that was a really cool six seven months on secondment yeah. i mean that shows quite a few different things doesn't it it shows sort of um Lynx's willingness to sort of work with you i think you also making your career like like we said it, it might have been so much of an active i'm ready to go in house but they let you start to carve that path and then what an amazing experience that came out of it right so tell us Absolutely. about new york 
I um I loved it. I loved being in New York and I loved being in house. So the the fundamentals I really really enjoyed. But actually, having only ever done private M and A really beforehand, you know, it's a it's a different job. I mean, it's a totally it's a different job in so many ways. It's a different technical um, substance to the job. It's a different rhythm and and pace and and what have you. There are totally different pressures of being in in house in house environment. So actually, you're like you're so great. You 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 get the thing that you really wanted, and so you're there and fantastic. I mean, New York, fantastic. I can't believe how well it's worked out. But actually, the first few weeks, first few I mean, the whole thing was difficult in many ways I'll be honest with you um and it was it was a really steep learning curve and I would say because as well it wasn't a, a regular secondment program I was the first second D they'd ever had so there was no specific training around it either there wasn't a kind of onboarding for second D's that they would just run through so it was really a, a sink or swim environment but I think it was so good for me and I really did enjoy it I must have liked it a lot because I, I left links ultimately to join TCS full-time but back in their UK and Ireland uh, legal team which is in London but yeah, great. And, and the legal team being so tiny was um, was again a blessing. But still, because of it, it was a small team of very experienced lawyers in TCS in London, um, which again was a, a wonderful learning opportunity for me. And before I knew it, you know, I was in the thick of it myself and, and sort of stuff that if I'm being honest, I don't imagine I would have had the opportunity to do in many other in-house environments so early. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't ready for it, to be frank with you. But um, but it's one of those, again, sort of sink or swim. And The whole sink or swim thing is almost essential, particularly in law. You go through university law school training contract there's so much structure and so much set prescribed form even though you're in quite a technical skilled job you don't have a real understanding of the reality there's so much flex and movement and yeah it's so true it's a good experience to be chucked into somewhere where it isn't all organized (laughs) I I couldn't agree more and to be honest it was it felt like a a sort of best of both worlds as a first in-house environment there was the usual health to skelter of a very small lean legal team in a really big business sort of you know punching above its weight and overworked and all of that good stuff that that is good for you in the long run but also it was just an enormous list of business as well that overall in the business there were ways of doing things and there were policies and processes and and it was it made that sort of transition from linklaters to an in-house environment i don't think i would have been able to thrive in the role i'm in now if i'd gone straight from private practice to it and i think i benefited from a path of three different in-house roles which was sort of in aggregate pointed to towards a sort of opportunity that I really wanted that really interested me and excited me, which is the type of uh, role I'm in now. But I think I'm better in my role now for having had the experiences, for example, those two years in total at TCS as a softer landing pad uh, from Linklater's days. But what, what, one thing you just said, Rach, actually made reminded me of, of a conversation Anne and I had the other day, which I think is really true, is that in private practice, in large firms, you're not always given a sense of what it's like to run a business. You're very transaction oriented or you don't see how it rolls up necessarily into actually the mechanics of running a business. And that's held and kept quite tightly at partner level. I think yeah. that doesn't necessarily filter all the way down. And so if at two, three, four years quality, you're going in-house it's a real eye-opener I think for so many people that Anne and I were saying we know are going in-house and seeing actually how a business operates and, and running a business in whichever sector that's an eye-opener um, and how much of that do you think is like sort of also a personality I think in terms of the ability to do it because I don't think all of our even our friends would be able to do the same path that you've done yeah I think that's right I think you need to really enjoy it it needs to excite you that type of thing because there are you know even of those you know people we know in an in-house environment just anecdotally there are some people who only ever want to be in a really large structured team and yes they 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 see drivers of a 
business, all the things that you get generally in an in-house role, they, they enjoy. But would they enjoy being the first lawyer into a sort of startup scale up business? And there's some people who that's just not for them and they don't really enjoy it. And that is exactly what I did want. And it, there's just so much luck involved of what opportunities come around at the right time. You I and, still think, to be fair to you, to be open to opportunities around you was still quite ahead of... Yeah, true. That, that's true. I mean, I do, I do do as a personality, I do that a lot. But then there's a alignment that's needed of all sorts of things that come together yes. when the opportunity yes. presents itself as well. You know, you could do all You're the introspective right. in the world, but but like you yes. need the you need the opportunity. But you are right, being open to the opportunity and to and to being really proactive about it and speaking to people in your network and always keeping an eye out for things. And what um, do you do as your trainee seat so that people know? Litigation, corporate, and two banking seats. Very transaction heavy training contract. And certainly, I found that that having that corporate base has really helped me. Even though since moving in house, it's been a commercial road that's dominated. But then actually the my subsequent two roles, so my previous one at LOC and my current role at Habito, I was the first lawyer in and in both instances. And having a bit of both, straddling that, you know, sort of corporate and commercial was incredibly helpful when you're the only lawyer in situ and, and need to do a bit of everything. Um, that kind of worked well. I, again, I, I don't know how much of it was hard to, hard to say in hindsight, how much of it was ex- planned perfectly and how much was luck, but a combination of the two, um, I think has served me well in the sort of thing I wanted to do. Well, so how did you like start with LOC and then we can move on to Habito, but you're the first lawyer in and they've not really had in-house lawyers and now here you are. Now what? Day, what does day one look like and what does day yeah. 100 look like? Yeah, good question. I mean, for me, day one and the first month, at least two months, is just listening and learning. You've always got to understand the technicalities of the business. The sector was completely different. So learning about the sector, learning about all the specifics of, of the different business lines and et cetera, et cetera. I think that was really important. But also just speaking with people, listening to people, taking every opportunity to go for as many coffees as possible and speak to people. And I think that's a double whammy doing that because A, you learn loads by doing it, but B, you show yourself, you show that willingness to understand and learn and get under the hood of it and not re- and not just come in and say right whatever you guys I I think I know what you guys do bish bash bosh <laughs> this is the way the legal function is going to work uh, let me just steamroll it in the process you get to know people as well that's the third aspect to it you get to know people at an individual level and all of those relationships are just so so important and and become more and more important over time and and the fact that you show willingness to want to get to know people I think is always hugely welcomed and you know as you show yourself to be a safe pair of hands over the first few months you can then bring your ideas more to the fore and say okay well have we thought about doing it a bit differently this way and what about this and what about that and to propose these things with the buy-in of people you're off to a head start already if they like you and they want you to succeed and they 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 kind of they they and really appreciate it having, yeah exactly exactly they, they really want you there uh so ro i suppose what's the biggest thing you've tried to achieve when going in house the number one thing that i have sought to achieve when going in particularly in my last two roles as the first lawyer in, is wanting people to want to come and talk to you about their issues and to thought partner with you yes. rather than, oh God, got some contract. Well, I'll send it to him at the last minute so he doesn't have much time to make any comments and then yes. and tell him, oh look, the deadlines are two hours. So uh, unfortunately we're going to have to like it or lump it. But actually coming to the very beginning of whatever they're thinking about, it may not even be strictly legal, but actually if, you're, if you show yourself to be a generally sort of commercially savvy, business oriented person, fairly entrepreneurial, people want to come and talk Talk to you about the stuff that's going on because people like talking about stuff they're doing anyway. And and also if there's sort of certain road 
blocks they can see in it and, and wanting to kind of have a coffee and, and, and talk it through. That for me was the number one thing I wanted to achieve in, in both of these last two roles in particular. Um, and, and I think that's really a really important start. Do you see yourself long term potentially not actually being in a legal role, but being in a pure business senior management role? It's interesting. Um, I'm open to it. But at the moment, asking me that now, I feel sad to lose the legal hat, to leave the legal facet to the role. And thinking about my role at Habito now, you know, I, being the GC is my main day job, but making other contributions to the business more broadly. And, you know, I sit on an executive committee. And that's really cool. Like having, 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 a, you know, a forum in which you each as individuals think as owners of the entire thing. So I really enjoy that as well. And, and I got my first taste of it at LOC. I was there for four years in total. And for the second two years, for the second half of my time there I was on the group management board and for me that was a real eye-opener because that was the first time I was sitting around a table of really senior people thinking generally how to run a business and I really really enjoyed it and it really brought out a different aspect of of my personality and I guess skill set and interest that, that hadn't really been tapped into too much before that point and so yeah at Habito it's it's been sort of that um and, and amplified we've, we've grew to see the growth that we've experienced and to be a part of it and to help contribute to it and it's been it's been great and for me personally for my sort of personality and where, where I think I thrive the most I reckon it's that that sort of hybrid role I know you keep saying you didn't have a, this grand plan but it kind of taking a step back it really looks like it, you did you know sort of I always thought in-house so I did my couple of years training and then I did a couple of years to get the foundation and I did my secondment you know then you came back to London to TTS then it's LOC and that's where you start to talk to the business and show your personality and do that thought partnership that you were talking about and then naturally progression into Habito where now you're the legal thought partner and now you're also building a legal team as well whether or not it's, it's, it sounds when you say it like that it does sound like I had a grand plan I'm, I'm not sure I'll I take mean, it I mean yeah thanks but like I'm not sure I did I did it was a bit of both I think as you said being open-minded and and thinking ahead like I don't know if you remember Anne but in early days of training contract training but I remember so clearly like we had one session from one of the very senior partners at Inglater I forget who, who was uh saying about you know taking ownership of your career and thinking ahead and thinking where you want to be in x number of years and you don't need to have it all mapped out you don't need to have the answer but it, it's already good to be thinking about it. I remember that really clearly being said, and I do think it's uh, it's an interesting and useful exercise to kind of fairly regularly think in bigger picture. Uh, Definitely. I mean, I think we've talked about it um, a few times before, isn't it? Where it's like, like you, I don't actually remember the the sort of, I guess that was the PSE, right? I don't remember that particular conversation. But what I do remember is the leaders in our team where we tra- where we uh, qualified. Um, both of them individually said sort of think about your career in at least four year chunks and maybe it's two year chunks because you know at links you had that sort of you qualify and then at four-ish years you should be thinking about being an MA and then at eight years in corporate anyway you should be thinking about looking on the partnership track so there was sort of yeah that was the natural break and I think we both particularly definitely sort of did two year now what things and that led to the changes that we made I think so it's funny whether or actively or not there was something in the back of our minds that made us do that I think. yeah exactly exactly and the kind of concept of taking ownership of your career and don't just let it happen to you but you know that you happen to it is that the right way to think about it I don't know but but to kind of take control of it and and as much as you can because so much depends on opportunity and how can I achieve them and in your current role can you add different facets to it and that's what I found at LOC in the four years I was there and I think the best work cultures and work environments really do encourage that because good people stay somewhere where they think they can continue to progress and be fulfilled and get all the, the things they want from their career.
Exactly. So um, one thing that we want to talk about is just thinking about um, in your experience through your career, one of the things that I've thought about, especially in the last year, um, is things around sort of discrimination. Um, And we've done an episode on it where we've talked about just my own experiences. And one of the things that I said was essentially I hadn't, you know, personally experienced anything bad, but that doesn't mean that I'm not fully aware of things that do happen, can happen, etc, etc. Have you ever experienced anything that might be considered discrimination in any form, but obviously race gender no the short answer is no not that as you say not that I'm aware of so um it's never been I've never been conscious of any um discrimination um in in any scenario that I've been a part of but firstly that's not to say it hasn't happened and I just didn't know about it um but I I do think I do think there are things that businesses should be thinking about and should be aware of and want to try and improve when it comes to subconscious bias and and all of those things so I think there's you know there's the obvious sort of discrimination which is clearly wrong most businesses would agree most business leaders would agree that like there's no place for it and and hopefully gets weeded out pretty quickly and 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 resolved very quickly but then I think you've got the kind of broader points of well how do you hire and where do you look what, where what are your pools of talent when you look to hire and what's the hiring what does the hiring process look like and and things like that and I I think there are things, little things that you can do. Um, we're really conscious of it at Habito and, and we, we're always trying to do what we can to, to, to help that situation. And we've, we've used a new um, uh, hiring platform, applicant tracking system, uh, and we've moved to a new one, which um, it's a blind hiring process. And it, it starts with a sort of a technical content-based questions and then only comes to CV stage and then sort of personal details at a later point in time. We've started using it, I think, for the last two, three months and, and people really like the look of it and, and how it works. And um, and I think it's things like that. I think it's just as a business being conscious of these things. And it's so easy to say, oh, there's no discrimination here, nothing to do. You know, all, all is fine. We're, we're not that type of business. We, we, we've got such a great culture. Yeah, all of the things, all of those things may be true, but I think you don't know what you don't know. You know, you don't know how all the subconscious bias affects the things that you do the decisions you make the people you hire and I think to kind of go out of your way to inform yourself is really important and to see what tools are available yeah and I think that's really important as well obviously both of us are um ethnic minority and that means that it's obvious in ways like I like I said in the episode that Rachel and I talked about it's not that I've personally seen it I just know that it happens because you can't move through the world as a black or brown person and not see it and not know that it happens so it's yeah, trying to absolutely. make sure that you can help your business with those things that like, and one of the things that yeah. I keep thinking about and that I do think is important is hiring is vital to get that right to make sure the pipeline is accurate, but also retention, right? It's so important to keep those people. And it's the same thing actually yeah. with women or with any other sort of anything that isn't quote unquote the standard. It's important to retain that talent because that diversity of talent makes your business stronger. In my opinion, it just does without question. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. for a business to introspect a little bit and understand what diversity means to them because because diversity everyone strives for but I wonder how many people can define and do you want a diversity of educational backgrounds do you want diversity of ethnic backgrounds do you want diversity of gender diversity whatever it is that there's and I think you need to know what you want to achieve as a business when it comes to having a diverse workforce and, and a diverse leadership team that that I think is, that's very important to have a diverse leadership team in a business because that's most likely to encourage diversity um, through the business more broadly probably. Yeah, and I think that sort of um, active thinking and decision making about what diversity looks like 
is important because, you know, one thing that people can do is just say, we've got some black and brown people in, we've got some women in, we've got whatever at the top level, now we've done it. But actually look behind that. And what if all of those people are still to be really lazy about it, Oxbridge educated from middle or upper class families, then actually have you got diversity? Because experiences are going to be largely the same regardless of what you look like if those are the boxes that you're ticking. So totally. Yeah, totally, totally. And and that's it, isn't it? It's it's understanding what kind of diversity matters to you and then going out of your way to try and inform yourself to learn and to see how you can help to improve that. Then maybe it's it's more it feels more manageable and achievable. Wait, did you have a question? Yeah, it's just something that struck me while we've been talking. I've I've always fought for what I wanted to do for different reasons. Like I didn't have any family connections in law. So I always had to push. I pushed at uni to get the experience in my New York internship that I had. And I had to keep pushing. And I got loads of rejections on my training contract application. So I had to keep really fighting for it. And ultimately, it was those personal connections that got me through. But it's difficult then to be diverse in your application process and your hiring process if you're going if you're accepting people in that route and so I suppose the thing I'm getting to is not to be afraid of somebody that is different I I, I think I understand what you're saying I I fully I fully agree with you and to me I think the most important type of network to build is the one that you do for yourself when I think of network I don't to be honest at all think of family friends or anything like that I think about the one I've made for myself it starts from school and law school and friends you make if you if you consciously try and meet people and get to know people in in different areas of your life and you go to to networking things and you become members of clubs societies be it at university be it in the working world and 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 even in a professional world it's not just people I've met as colleagues in my job but actually being some a professional network or or whatever it is you know and you get to know people that way and I think you know that sort of accumulation of of people you've got to know in different guises. Um, yeah. That for me, that's a network. And and yes, the other side to it is, okay, well, do you just get things because of it? Or do people actually help to show you and, and surface opportunities that exist out there? For me, it's the latter, you know, I don't think any, I don't think it's even possible these days for someone to just like get you in the back door of a job. How does that yeah. even happen? One thing it may do is by speaking to someone, if you've got an interest, so I, I'm, I, you know, we're a B corporation as a business and environmental, social and governance is something that I think is really really important and and the different so many different strands to it but ESG let's say broadly speaking as a label is something I'm really really interested in so outside of my day job outside of whatever I I you know get involved in communities of, of people who care about these things as well and so you meet people I find in loads of different guises and it's so much of it's personal like you meet people that you get on with and and you build a sort of a network accidentally almost um and and those people can can introduce you to things that you might not have known existed that's so true and i think some people think that building a network or having a network is so much more complicated than actually just show up to things that you care about and then get talking to people and i don't mean to sort of minimize that because also you know some people either socially awkward or whatever it is they maybe don't feel comfortable in those rooms or they just feel like what am i doing here or they just don't like people frankly they just don't want to do it they want to do their job and go home maybe it's as simple as that because we've all been there when it's like no I just don't like these people but if you do show up to things like that um that is how you build your network and I can't tell you the number of times um we probably all experience it but I can't tell you the number of times where I've been in a room and just talking and someone's like oh do you were at links do you know so and so and do you know such and such and there's your connection and then you don't have to talk about if you were just faking it to try and get a network connection 
now you've got mm. an actual real connection because you have something in common that isn't the thing that you're there for and then that just naturally builds into something really easy and to exactly. add to that I know mm. you demonstrate that because I've definitely been in rooms where I mentioned something and people are like oh do you know Rohan just that happens for, for good reasons rather than bad reasons uh, you know they're like oh that guy let's not know <laughs> Yeah. I think it just it shows you you live what you just described it works yeah. it's kind of stuff that you, it's stuff that you do in normal life anyway in friendship circles it's not I agree with you Anne completely it's not sort of oh in a professional way I need to network in a certain way and there's a science to how that needs to happen but actually it's often just being yourself and, and following paths and interest you and be genuine and you're quite, quite authentic and you meet people and you get on with them some you'll get on with some you won't and and you kind of wind your way through it that way. And I have in my mind that didn't you like there was one thing I can't remember what it was I think it might have been a deal at links and um, you were working with somebody, uh, they were on the client side. And next thing I knew you were off driving around uh, Nürburgring or something with them, having driven with them. You know what I mean? Like it's things like that, yeah, yeah. where it's just like, you just make a connection. Now you're good friends and it just- Yeah, it's one of my, Mark is one of my best mates now. Exactly, yeah, precisely. So aside from being very important and busy in your day job, you also mm. have a very important other job, a family job, you are a daddy. Yes, I am recently so. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, uh, you are a working daddy so it would be um, interesting just to hear your perspective on what you did did you take any time off are you planning on taking any more time off what are the stress points and tell us a little bit and um, tell us what's happening yeah happily um so Eloise is six months old just over six months old um it's been amazing what a, what a six months it's been I did take some time off so we're, we're lucky at Habito um uh, and we're generous in the way we do paternity leave I think I'm, I'm not sure what the norm is but we do two weeks immediately when, when when a baby is born and then you have to come back for at least a month and then can take another two weeks so four weeks in total which I did um as Eloise was born in late September so I took two weeks off and then took my second block of two weeks off in mid-December um which was great and really fortunate to have those four weeks the first two weeks are just a blur and I if you feel permanently <laughs> jet lagged and I didn't know if it was day or night or, or what was going on so the first, not much of a uh, not much of a break those first two weeks but obviously it was amazing just to be at home and um and with Eloise. yeah exactly and just sort of surviving um and then but then the second block actually was more of a break and so Eloise was almost three months at that point and that was really nice and you can enjoy it in a different way so I, I felt fortunate to have to have those two blocks and it's interesting isn't it at the moment sort of everyone every parent who's who's doing everything under one roof parents generally have all sorts on their plates at the moment and so it's uh, it's a particularly interesting time for me in my situation Eloise has only known me and my wife at home the whole time which is brilliant I feel so 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 grateful for it um but what will be interesting is then when my wife starts going back when she goes back to work in September and when I start phasing back into going into the office which I guess won't be too far from now how she reacts yeah. to that and how we react to it I mean, we get quite sad for us in some ways not to see her in just these little sort of five minute windows that you have over the course of a, of a day when you're working from home so that'll be that'll be a change but no I feel very very lucky to have been at home it's definitely been a silver lining obviously there's challenges to it and in an environment where there's a lot going on in the house but but I think everyone has had that to some degree it's not just parents but I mean everyone has had challenges about you know associated with, with working from home for such a long period of time and um, if we can achieve a hybrid if we can get to a, a place that's net better than or net more flexible than when we went into the whole pandemic I think that's a small silver lining to come from it you know if we can find a better way of working that suits people and allows people to have to have more of a balance between work and home you consider a four-day week 
I don't know. I've not thought about it, to be honest. I'm looking forward to having a sort of hopefully best of both. I know so many offices are planning or trying to plan for a best of both where you do a couple of days in the office and a few days from home. And it's a case of understanding what sorts of things, how you arrange the rhythm of your of your working life. What sorts of things do you do from home? And what sorts of things do you do in the office? And I don't think anyone has yet yet feels that they've cracked that. But um, I'm looking forward to exploring that and, and sort of getting on with it. Hopefully, you know, from this summer onwards, if we can all start rolling that out. Magical balance exactly that's the thing because everyone's somewhere on the spectrum isn't it from some people want to be always in the office some people want to be always at home and then where is that balance in between and and how do you recreate those serendipitous moments in the corridor or when you go and grab lunch together and all the little chats that that in aggregate make such a difference i think it's just great that these are problems that we're thinking about and that it's not it's not just going to hopefully for many businesses won't just default to the five-day week looking backwards let's go back to how we were like why are we going backwards why not think forwards and say okay well we've, we've understood how it can work one way we've understood how it has had to work another way why not look forwards and to see and see how we can make it work going forward i definitely think there's a way to take the best of both i hope so I'm looking forward to hopefully everyone being so much more open-minded because the truth is I think so many people and business leaders who never ever would have thought we could have yeah. worked well and productively in a, in a fully remote environment. I think so many people are sceptical and many of the sceptics now have seen how productive businesses can be when fully remote. And so I think there'll be an open-mindedness towards it that no one would have imagined, I think probably 18 months. I hope that, that what we also take from it is just chill. Yeah. If someone yeah. isn't available in the evenings, they're at home with their children. If someone is working all evening because they've had the afternoon off to go and play golf, give people the breathing space to respond to you when they can. (laughs) Whereas actually, if there's more understanding of the flexibility people need and want in their life, when we rule the world, things will be different. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so it's now time for our quick fire round. We ask all of our interviewees um, a few questions. We want you to give the first answer that comes into your um, head when we ask the question. Here we go. So, as we said at the beginning... Don't be scared. I feel scared. No! no. no. <laughs> so, despite Rohan's trepidation, um, we just wanted to do a quick quick fire round, just be whatever comes into your mind. So, first one I probably can guess, in-house versus private practice. For me, definitely in-house. No right and wrong, obviously, but for me, um, I, I love my life in-house. Um, nice, easy one. Um, best celebrity moment on your celebrity wall? Oof. <sighs> Good one. The funniest celebrity moments, I think, in our celebrity wall back at links were the ones that were the most fleeting and random. And somehow we, we, so we scored all these celebrity moments. We're like, you know, oh, how good a celebrity experience was that? And we often gave most credit to the ones that were like the most fleeting with the most random celebrities. The one um, where in the picture it had like somebody's nose and I was like, I promise you that was just yeah, exactly. And Exactly. It was the less clear cut photos and selfies that you did with people where a massive explanation was needed that people <laughs> might or might not believe that often led to the funniest lunchtime tales. I, I wouldn't know which one one specifically but it's the random the more random the better i completely forgot that we used to score it we had a whole system going didn't we, yeah, we had like, and numbers yeah exactly um one thing you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now that it's okay and a good thing to let your personality shine feeling feeling confident about letting your personality shine and, and mixing that in with your with your job rather than feeling like you need to have two different personas i think how do you manage stress at work um i don't know really i guess thinking things through afterwards is a good thing but 
then I think sometimes you just let go, move on, and 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 forcing yourself to do that is 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 one is one helpful thing. Um, talking about it with people, though, having some outside perspective on something helps you realize that in the grand scheme, whatever it was, it really isn't a big deal. Definitely. Um, biggest mistake if you've had any. Hmm. Oh, don't be like that. You must have had some biggest mistake. <laughs> Can't think of any. No. Um, <laughs> Coming at it from a trainee perspective, where you feel crushed if you do something wrong. It must have been things. Maybe I'd be. Maybe I'm just really good at blocking them out. Like they're inevitably were things. It didn't happen. Forget. Well, so like yeah. some silly examples. Because I get like you. I can't think of the bigger ones, and I'm sure they've been bigger ones. But one thing Rachel and I talked about, which may or may not have made um, another episode, was uh, I lost the share certificate. You know, when it was you know the end of the deal, and I just lost it. I don't know what I did with it. Still to this day, can't think. Of <laughs> Too busy running around, you know, in that sort of crazy yeah. oh, box in the right place, lost it yeah. completely. And it's just now what? And you just have that panic of I've got to tell somebody because and then realizing, well, share certificates can be duplicated. But at that time it was the thing. I was like, I can't believe I've lost it. What on earth have I done? That's the thing. That's that's why again, touching back on what we were just talking about, talking to someone, it feels right, it feels unnatural when you just made a mistake, you're like, never tell anyone about this ever. Feels like the right thing immediately. But actually, when you talk to people about it, you just realize that almost nothing can't be resolved, but almost always resolutions are much quicker and easier if you if you say what the thing is early on. Top train trainee tip or to an NQ listening. Be willing to get involved in things. I think often you, you're a bit nervous. You you know, again, it's a, a bit about letting your personality come into it and don't feel that you're just the most junior one in the room always and just sort of sit quietly, suggesting things, getting involved, putting your hand up for stuff. Don't just think of yourself as the most junior one in the room who should just be quiet and sp- speak when spoken to only. Definitely. And I've definitely been in rooms where the senior people have actively gone out of their way to make sure everybody in the room is heard. Last but not least, what would you be if you weren't a lawyer, if anything? Arsenal manager. <laughs> you know, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the small matter of whether they would have me as the Arsenal manager is a mere detail, obviously, but uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Love this conversation. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, thanks. It'd be really nice, really nice to chat. Thank you. Thank you. And it's really been so helpful. You've been you know, such good, such good steer on so many different things. Find of you to say. We loved having Ro on the podcast today. It was a great conversation and we really hope that you guys all enjoyed it as well. Thanks everyone for listening. We always have a great time on the podcast and appreciate everyone who comes back and listens every week. Feel free to like, subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, then feel free to get in touch with us at so you think you want to be a lawyer at gmail.com or any other of our social media and contacts, which we will leave in the show notes. Hopefully we'll get around to answering some of your questions on future episodes of the podcast. And in the meantime, please keep coming back. Thanks.